Abel, can you stand for the reading of God's Word? So we're reading from Genesis 12 as well as Galatians 3. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This is Galatians 3. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm a person who loves routine. Now I know what you're thinking, Jeff, what's your workout routine? I'm just ready for it. Um, a, lot of, a lot of carbs through pizza and uh, walking from my office to my car. Um, there you go, it's free, don't worry. No copyright yet, we're working on it. But still, I, I really enjoy the routine of going to the same places regularly. I mean, I like new things, I'm, I'm okay with new things, but I don't always pursue them. Um, but it, this is especially true of where I get coffee. I really have three coffee shops I go to all the time. When it comes to coffee, I know where I want to be, and I know what I want to get. And, and I know that I go to these places because they have great coffee each and every single time. The, the main reason is, again, cause, not because I don't like new coffee shops. I do. I enjoy trying new coffee. I enjoy trying the different beans and different roasts and different way people prepare it. Um, but also, I've been places where one week the coffee was great, and the next week, it was terrible. It was the worst. <laughs> and, and then I go again, and it's bad again. I was like, well, maybe the first time it was bad, that was the exception. I realized that it was, the good time was when the exception for them. Um, but that's why I keep going back to the same places, because I like the routine coffee. I like knowing what I'm going to get when I show up. The worst thing to me about a coffee shop is when they're inconsistent in their flavors and experience. Now, I'm not the guy who, who gives a two-star review afterwards. I just take the coffee and throw it away. I'm non-confrontational. <laughs> um, but, but there are some places where I know I'm going, when I go and get that sugar-free vanilla oat milk latte with two extra shots, I know what I'm going to get. Yeah, I know. Again, very routine. And I like drip, but I really love lattes. Um, but I, but I keep going back because I know that I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm confident that when I recommend it to others, that they at least know what kind of coffee I like. And I know I can trust them to make really good coffee each and every single time. It's based off past experiences. Craig Rochelle, he's the pastor of Life Church. He says this: the best indicator of future performance is past performance. The best indicator of future performance. That's not just true about coffee. It's true about everything in life, right? Uh, it's the reason why we keep going to the same places over and over again. We know we can trust these businesses, these people, organizations, because we know that they've come through in the past. We want to go somewhere else than Target, when Target doesn't have what we need, but it has all the things we didn't know we wanted. <laughs> why would we go anywhere else? And still there's some disconnect, at least for me sometimes, between my own life and when it, when it comes to hard times and situations. Because even though I know in my head, intellectually, I can, I can understand that the best, the best predictor of, of future performance is past performance, I seem to lose this concept when it comes to God. 
I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes when I'm going through it, when I'm in the difficult season, when I'm in the valley, when life isn't going the way I want it to or even the way I expected, that's when I have the hardest time to trust God. And maybe for you, there have been times where God doesn't seem to do the thing you wanted him to do. Or there was a time when it seemed like the loving thing that he should have done, he didn't do. What about the times in our lives when it seems like God hasn't shown up? And how does all this connect to the story of Advent? It's a good question. Today we're going to look at some words from Jesus' mother Mary and her own experience of wrestling through a tough and yet beautiful time and how all this connects back to trusting God. So just some background on what's going on with Mary, if you don't know. She finds out that she's going to have a baby. And, and how does she respond? Mary, this faithful Jewish girl, she was a teenager. She's just a kid when she finds out that she's going to have a baby. And one of the ways we know she's a faithful Jewish girl is in this, this passage we're going to read in a moment. In this passage, there are over 12 references to the Old Testament. And that may, that may not sound like much to you, but, but women in the first century weren't allowed to be educated like men. That they were allowed to go to the synagogue, they were allowed to participate in some acts of faith, but there was a cap for them on how far they could go. And yet Mary, this woman, this teenager of faith, has over 12 references. This, this song sounds a lot more like a psalm of David. And Mary shows us that even though the predominant value in her culture was placed on men, that there were probably many other unknown women of great faith in her time. And all the more reason why we in the 21st century should be careful to write people off. But back to the story. We see that Mary was a woman of great faith, and even though she was human like us, imperfect as we are, there's evidence to suggest that she's more than just a random person. It wasn't as if God goes, oh, um, you, you're going you're gonna to have Jesus. No, it was on purpose. And she had plenty of reason to be worried in this circumstance. If you think about it, like she's a teenage woman who's betrothed to be married, so she's not married yet. And, and betrothal in the first century was kind of like our engagement, but it was a little bit more of a, of a process because there'd be the time of like the, the, the potential husband suitor would, would give a certain uh, amount of money or, or cattle or livestock to the father and then they'd get like the agreement all that out of the way. And then they'd have to wait until the husband would build an addition to his parents' house. It's a, it's a process. Anyways, it's another sermon sometime. Um, but, but she's betrothed to Joseph and so if if people found out she was pregnant, there'd be some controversy. But if people found out it wasn't Joseph's kid, she could be killed. She could be killed. If the men in her village found out it wasn't Joseph's child, it could result in her death, which would rightly make anyone nervous, right? But Mary wasn't. Instead, she responded with this beautiful prayer we're going to look at today. I believe Mary was chosen by God for this task because of her response to this moment. She sees things through the lens of God's promises and character and not just her circumstances. When we remember who God is and what he has promised, what he has done, we can look at our circumstances through the lens of faith. Remembering God's faithfulness, friends, is the way to have faith despite our circumstances. Let me say that again. Remembering, our, remembering God's faithfulness is the way to have faith despite our circumstances. When we look at things through the lens of God's character, we can see our circumstances differently. Which is why during the week of Advent, we're going to look at faith, this week of faith, through the faithfulness of God. Because I think sometimes we, we go to faith quick, and that's a good thing. Faith is important. Without that, we have no relationship with God. But if God isn't faithful, our faith is worthless. And so instead, we're going to look at what Mary sees in God's faithfulness and how that not just creates faith for her, but for all of us. 
And so in our opening scriptures, we saw a passage from Genesis 12. That, that passage was one of the key texts for the Jews of their day. It was their identity. They, they, see, they see that God had called Abraham out of this land of Ur of the Chaldeans, where Babylon would future, the future Babylon would be, and how God called them out to be his people. And God had committed himself to Abraham. And so they built their entire identity on the fact that they had been called by God to be his chosen people. And this identity is the thing that they hold on to throughout the whole Old Testament. Time and time again, things happen over and over, and they go through exile, and they go into slavery, and then they're conquered by one nation and another, and God keeps delivering them, but they keep sending their way back into slavery. And still they held on to this identity because they believed the promises of God. But that didn't stop them from wandering, both figuratively and literally. They wondered in their heads, God, why is this happening again? And then they wondered with their spirituality, going to other potential gods, seeing if that would help, but didn't. Instead, they openly asked God, why, again and again, why, if your promises are true, why does it keep happening this way? And so Mary, being a faithful Jew, is caught up in this story herself. She had been taught from a young age in the synagogue about the fulfillment of God's promise that one day God would send someone to undo all the brokenness in the world but especially for them. And, and in this time, in the time of Roman occupation, when they're ruled over by this Roman empire, they're, they're wondering, God, is it ever going to happen? God, are you ever going to deliver us? But thankfully, Roman rule wasn't like other rules. They could still worship God. They could still be relatively free, but this half freedom was not enough for them. Halfway freedom led them to, some of them wanting to rebel, some of them wanting to gear up for war. So why am I giving all this backstory, Right? Good question. The reason why is because this was the time in history that God chose to send Jesus. Jesus wasn't sent on accident at this time. This wasn't just happenstance. This was precisely when God wanted to send Jesus. Jesus, the one who would fulfill all of God's promises to his people, came into a world that longed for the fulfillment of God's promises. The Jews were willing to take fulfillment even into their own hands if God wouldn't act, which led to the loss of many lives eventually in A.D. 70. But Jesus, God's answer and not man's answer to the situation, he wasn't born into a military family. He wasn't born into a prestigious or wealthy or influential family. He wasn't even born into a priestly family like his cousin, John the Baptist. Instead, Jesus was born to Mary, a teenager. The circumstances around Jesus' birth were not ideal, right? Again, if we look at things just through our circumstances, it doesn't make sense. But if we look at them through the character and faithfulness of God, it changes everything. This was precisely who God wanted to bring his son into the world. But how does Mary respond to this decision by God? Let's look at Luke chapter 1. It'll be verses 46 through 55. So if you have a, if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn with me there. If you don't, uh, again, we always have extra Bibles, NLT Bibles that we use on Sunday morning. They're in the lobby. If you ever want one, feel free to grab one. But this is Mary's words in uh, chapter 1, verse 46. It says this. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows his mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. He made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. 
So in this song of Mary, we see a couple of things. We see a couple of things, a couple of results that God's faithfulness should bring about in us. And it's this. God's faithfulness should result in our joy, our remembering, and our faith. God's faithfulness should result in our joy, our remembering, and our faith. Let's look at our joy. In verses 46 and 47, we, we see a couplet. If you don't know musical terms like I don't, that just means two lines that are together. There you go. You learned something today. Um, anyways, Mary says that her soul praises the Lord and her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. Well, what does that mean? Well, when we think of soul or spirit, we think of them interchangeably, right? We think that they're basically the same thing, that soul and spirit are, are synonyms, and kind of. But soul in the first century was a lot closer to what we think of when we think of self, when we think of our identity, when we think of our personhood. And so when, when Mary says that her spirit her soul is rejoicing in God. Her soul is, in the original language, could literally mean magnifies or, or, or focuses on, rejoices fully, overflowing deep from within her. So it's not just a happiness. It's not just, oh, I'm happy that God sent Jesus. That's good. No, no. She's saying, my, myself, all that I am is overflowing and erupting with joy because of God is finally keeping his promise which makes sense, right? I remember my senior year of college. Um, Brooke and I had gotten engaged a couple months beforehand, and we're, like, we were like, okay, we're going to finish school, and then we're going to get married. Great idea. N no. Um, senior year is hard enough, right? All the papers and all the projects and the finals and all the trying to figure out where you're going to live and all that stuff. Thankfully, you guys brought me in. Thank you. Um, but, but adding on to that was the anticipation of waiting to marry Brooke. And I was so excited, but it was also like the longest year of my life. It just kept going on and on and on. And there were more papers and more finals and more late nights. And, and Brooke was a nursing major, which means she had like no free time <laughs> or negative free time. Um, she was so busy, with, which is great. Um, but I, I just felt so excited about it. I was like, ready. I was like, this, I'm just so excited to marry Brooke. And like, I'm still so excited to be married to Brooke. Uh, she's amazing. But it felt like it was never going to happen. It felt like it kept going on and on and on and on. This is probably not that different from the Jewish people in the first century. Except for they waited a lot longer than a year. Um, you know, my patience. Um, but they desperately wanted this promised one to come. They desperately were waiting for Jesus to come about. They were desperately waiting for this freedom from captivity. And so Mary hears this news, and it's like, Brooke and me, finally hear all the things that we've been waiting for, all the things that we've been doing, all the things to get here to this point. It's finally here. And Mary is overjoyed. She is rejoicing out of all that she is. And all of us know what it's like to wait for something and anticipate something and, and, and the possibility of it not ever actually happening. We all know that feeling. If only when we were kids waiting for Disneyland. But Mary was able to find out, the first to find out that this, this, this arrival of centuries of waiting was finally coming. And this led to her to respond with deep rejoicing in God from deep within her being. Does the arrival of Jesus still bring us joy? The good news can become like old news when we forget its importance or we forget its relevance. Christmas comes every year, which is great because we're in the rhythm of remembering. We're in the rhythm of being able to remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus. But, sti but still, the, uh, the possibility is that you may just tune me out because it's another Christmas sermon. It's another opportunity to remember. Year after year after year after year, we can forget that this is still good news. 
But the this, this story is so much better than that. Each year we're offered the opportunity to remember that we have a God who's not distant or disengaged, but we have a God who has dwelled among us. And he's faithful to keep the promises he makes. He's faithful to bring about the renewal of all things, starting with us, his people. And this should still bring us deep joy. If it doesn't bring us deep joy, then what are we doing? We should seek to have that joy restored at least yearly, every year during Christmas. But what does the joy, this deep joy look like? What is this joy that comes from God's faithfulness? What does it look like in our day-to-day? Well, it changes our perspective. Joy is when the Spirit of God in us lays hold of the, of the promise of God. The prom, sorry, let me back that up. Here we go. Joy is when the Spirit of God in us lays hold of the promises of God to us and gives us his perspective in our circumstances. We can have an overflowing abundance of happiness without regard to our circumstances because joy is not determined on our circumstances. It's determined by the character and faithfulness of God. It's determined by the character and faithfulness of God. It's not necessarily just the look on your face, though it's, it is that, hopefully, but it's that deep sense of joy, knowing that whatever my circumstances are, whatever lot I have, have in life, whatever God hands to me, whatever circumstances God brings to me, I know how the story goes. Because we remember, even in the hard times, even though our circumstances may change, our God never does. Even when we are living between the times of Jesus' resurrection and his restoration, even though we live between the time of Jesus' atonement and his bringing all things new, we know that God keeps his promises. We know that God keeps his promises. Which means that though weeping may last for a night, joy comes with the morning. Friends, joy is based on the faithfulness of God, and now he never fails. And Mary reminds us of this as she hears the good news that they've been waiting for, that Jesus had finally been, he's finally coming for them. And so Mary shows us that the faithfulness of God should result in our joy, our deep, abundant, overflowing from deep within us joy, but it also should result in our remembering In verses 48 through 55, she recalls that God made promises to her ancestors and that he remembered to be faithful to Israel. She points out that he is merciful from generation. His mighty arm has done great things. So she's basically summing up all the Old Testament, saying again and again, God, you were faithful. God, you were faithful. You delivered us. You saved us. You kept us. You keep all of your promises. Again and again throughout the song, she's just summarizing that. And all this looking back at God's work to continue to be faithful to, to his promises gave her, her the ability to understand her circumstances better. And this matters to us. that If God keeps his promises to the Jews and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he will also keep his promises to us. He will surely keep all of them. And we mostly see this in our own lives as we look back and see God's work in us, whether it's him using all the troubles in life to make us more like his son, whether it's him bringing us through different trials and tribulations, whether it's him keeping his promise of being with you, that he will never leave nor forsake you no matter what you're going through. Maybe it's his faithfulness to bring you everything you need, not necessarily everything you want. Or maybe it's just his faithful love to you to forgive you for everything that you've done wrong. Oftentimes we see God's work best when we look back. If we do not remember what God has done, we will forget that he is faithful. The second most frequent command in the Bible is this, remember, remember. Because like I said earlier, in our moments of trouble or doubt, we can be tempted to forget what God has already done. We can be tempted to forget that God still moves mountains, that God still makes a way when there is no other way. 
we can be tempted to forget because in the dark of life, we can forget what was in the light. Joseph Bailey, he was the former director of InterVarsity Press, one of the Christian publishers. He said this, don't in the darkness what you have learned in the light. Don't forget in the darkness what you've learned in the light. Remembering God's faithfulness is to hold on to faith despite our circumstances. Mary knew this, and she showed this in her deep trust in God. Again, she was living in a time where if she was found out, she could die. The whole story could end right there, right? If, if she didn't have faith in God, if she didn't believe that God was faithful to keep his promises, she would have lived a very different life. She would have stayed inside the whole nine months. She would have hidden from everyone. But because of her faith in God, she acted as someone with faith. Because she remembered that God is faithful, she was able to endure her circumstances. Which of God's promises do you need to remember this morning? Which circumstance in your life do you need to cling to his faithfulness for? In Paul's prayers in the New Testament, again and again, remember, so Paul goes in, he's imprisoned, he's beaten, he's shipwrecked, he's almost killed. All kinds of awful things happen to him. But what does Paul do? Paul, in his prayers in the New Testament, takes his circumstances and lays them under God's promises. He takes his circumstances and lays them under God's promises. And he reminds himself and his readers that all of God's promises in Jesus are yes and amen. God's faithfulness to keep his promises in the past is the only way we can live in the tension of the present with eyes on God's perfect future. It is when our eyes are on our circumstances and not on God that we begin to forget. Like Peter, we begin to sink below the waves. In remembering, we are able to hold on to the God who never fails. And we are able to, like Mary, connect the dots between our problems and God's promises, between our circumstances and God's faithfulness in remembering. Yes, God's faithfulness results in our joy. It results in our remembering, and it also results in our faith. It results in our faith. In the rest of the passage, Mary looks ahead at all the things that God was going to do in Jesus, that he's going to bring down princes and haughty or proud ones, that he's going to send the rich away empty-handed. But what is he going to do? He's going to exalt the humble, and he's going to fill the hungry with good things. So, that, so already Mary understands that God's upside-down kingdom has begun in Jesus. Even in the midst of her remembering God's faithfulness to his promises, Mary's faith holds on to God's future. How God was going to undo the brokenness that existed in the world through Jesus. And her faith that this would happen wasn't based on her circumstances. It wasn't based on wishing something good would happen. It was based on knowing who was born, who's to be born, which is Jesus. So despite the good intentions of that songwriter, yes, Mary did know. Sorry, bad humor. There we go, yeah. Gotta sneak it in there, you guys know. All right. <clears throat> uh, no. If I started singing, oh man. Oof. Anyways, um, but the question is, will we live like Mary? Will we live, will we place our faith in God who has done these great things? Will we, in the midst of our circumstances that we don't want or desire, will we trust God based on his past performance? Or will we let our circumstances determine the level of our faith? We've been blessed even more than Mary because Mary was looking ahead at what Jesus would do, hoping, right? But we look back at all that Jesus has already done. Through all that Jesus has done, we who aren't Jews are able to enjoy the privileges of being God's people. Because the baby that Mary gave birth to was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. We saw it earlier in our passage in Galatians 3. It says this, The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. 
What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time. In other words, it was always the plan that everyone would be included in God's family. It was always the plan that God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all the nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. The promise that Abraham received that was fulfilled in the life, work, ministry, and death of Jesus, it began with Mary, but it results in faith for all of us. The only reason we can be included is because of Mary in the story. And the reason why many of us, if we're not, if we're, if we're honest, that we, we kind of downplay Mary's part in the story is because we don't want to elevate her too much. We, we, we don't want to bring her to what she isn't in, in Protestant circles. But if we downplay her, we do it to our own discredit because we don't recognize the part she played, what, what, what some have said, the theotokos, the, the, the bearer of God. Um, we, we, if we downplay that part in the story, we don't have the full story. Because if we're honest, a lot of us are more like Mary than we think. That apart from God using us, we would just be a footnote in history. That apart from God's work in our life, a lot of us would just be see end notes, the part that everyone skips in the story. But because of God, because God is working in us, we also have a place to play in the story. Because of Mary and what she did and her example of faith and faithfulness of God, God uses that as a reminder to us that though God's timing isn't our timing, our trust in him is never in vain. But now it's up to us. Will we trust that God, the one who always keeps his promises? Will we believe in what he has said and done or will we allow our reality? It's up to you. It's up to you. What are you going to do in response to God's faithfulness? Are you going to believe in faith or are you just going to keep looking at your circumstances? The faith that Mary gained from finding out that she was pregnant with Jesus wasn't the first time she was believing. She grew up believing the promises of God. She grew up in the synagogue. She knew the stories. And a lot of us are like Mary. We grew up, we know the story. We've heard the story a thousand times. And yet when we, we, we hear someone talk about faith, we begin to check out thinking, I already know this. However, Mary shows us the invitation to respond to God's faithfulness in faith isn't a one-time thing. It's an unceasing thing. It's an ongoing invitation for all of God's people. We never outgrow the need for greater faith. We never outgrow the need for growing in our faith. That our joy and remembering in faith are all caught up in reliance upon God's faithfulness. And we are invited to put that faith into action. We're invited to trust the God who never fails in whatever circumstances life may bring. I don't know all of your story. I wish I did. If, if you have time this week, let's get coffee. But I know God knows your story. And I know God has enough for you if you just trust him. He will make a way where there is no way. He will make it work out in his own way. It doesn't always look like the way we want, right? Mary didn't write in her notebook when she was a kid, I hope to be pregnant before I'm married. That wasn't her plan for her life, right? But that was God's plan. And, but God's plan is so much better, right? We're all glad Jesus came, yeah. But because of her, her faith in the moment, in response to her circumstances, putting her eyes on God's faithfulness. God made the story that we have today. He made the story that is above all stories, that God became a man. But we're also invited to put that faith into action this morning through the table, through the same thing we do each week, the bread and the juice. That's what they literally are. It's not gonna change. It's not gonna magically tra transport into something else. That's what they are, just bread and juice. 
This may be the first time or it may be the thousandth time you've, you've been invited to come to this table to remember what Jesus has done. But somewhere along the way, for us, some of us, the faithfulness of God becomes old news. An old story that we used to delight in at our deepest core of ourselves, but now we hear it and we just mentally ascend to it. We, we agree theologically, but we just participate just to do it. But still, we are invited by faith to realign ourselves to the story of God, to recognize that our story fits into God's story, that he was and is and will be faithful to all of his promises. Because even if we become tired of hearing the good news, God in his faithful and relentless loving pursuit of us, hear this, friends, even if we get tired of hearing the old news, the good news, God in his faithful and relentless loving pursuit of us graciously invites us to remember all he has done. He lovingly pursues you. Each week, the reason why there's a calendar, why there's a rhythm to worship, the reason why we gather week after week after week is because God is still pursuing you. God's love is still pursuing you. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life or whether you've been a Christian for five seconds or maybe you don't even believe in Jesus, maybe you don't even believe God exists, God is still pursuing you in his love. Not to overwhelm you to make you feel bad, not to overwhelm you to make you feel like a horrible person, but to let you know that he wants you to be a part of his family. He wants to invite you by faith in his faithfulness to be a part of what he's doing and to enjoy the fruits of his faithfulness, which is this, a relationship with him, a restoration of our place in his family and a resurrection that's coming someday. In the garden when Adam and Eve didn't listen to God's command, we, we, we all entered into the state of being separated from God. But even in our own sin, we continue to separate ourselves from God. But God promised in that garden that one day he would undo that separation. That's what we talked about last week, the peace that comes. But in the birth and life and work and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, he fulfills his promise. His promise to restore us to himself. Because God has made us for himself. And we are restless until we find our rest in him. Jesus, this baby born to Mary, born to die for all, he invites us to come and eat and remember his faithfulness, to rejoice in him and our God, to rejoice in this God who's faithful to keep his promises and results in greater faith. So in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and participate, but I want you to participate in this way. I don't want you just to come forward because that's what you do each week. I don't want you to just come forward because that's what you're supposed to do. I want you to invite you to come forward because, because God is faithful faithful to keep his promises. God is faithful in his love of you and his, his seeing your circumstances. No matter what you're going through, God is faithful. So I'm going to invite the band up as we close in, in response to this, to, in response to God's faithfulness. Perhaps for the first time today, you are being invited. You, you sense this invitation to this opportunity, to this table, to, to, to take part in this faith that trusts in God's faithfulness. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So this morning, you're invited to remember the faithful God, the God who always keeps his promises and to respond in joy and remembering and faith. Christmas is a lot of things. 
a lot of good things, but may it never be less than remembering that God is a God who keeps his promises. He keeps his promises to you, that he will be faithful, that he will be with you, that he invites you to this table to remember all that he has done, trusting in faith in all that he will do. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are faithful to every one of your promises. All of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. It's not because of anything we've done to earn it. It's not because of anything we could do to ever lose it. You're faithful, God. And that faithfulness is seen from the beginning of the Bible to the end. But still, sometimes, God, our circumstances just seem more real than your faithfulness. Our circumstances seem more real than your promises. Our problem seems too big for us to ever get out from under it. But God, I know that you're still the same God. You're still the same God who carved out oceans and built mountains. You're still the same God who made all things, and yet you love us right where we're at right now, God. And so this morning, God, as we come forward to remember what you have done, as we come forward to rejoice in the fact that Jesus wasn't just born, but he died and he's risen, that resurrection, God, that it would change the way we even see our lives. That, that resurrection would change the way we see our circumstances. Knowing that you love us and you're faithful to keep your promises. God, help us to remember that. And help us to grow in faith, God, trusting you despite whatever may come. That like Mary, we would just look past our circumstances and look at your character knowing that you're good. And so God, this morning, just again, would you, would you remind us of that love you have for us? And as we remember, would we take communion joyfully knowing that you love us and you'll never let us down. We pray this in Jesus' name.